retro anime. How did we find it? How does it hold up? Unpacking the ins and outs of being an old school nerd, and proving that 80s kids can't remember a damn thing right. These are the mindless midlife musings of the anime nerd. Welcome to Mindless Midlife Musings of the Anime Nerd. I'm Rick, and I'm joined by the rest of our panel, Vic, Brian, Lynette, and Andrea. How's it going, everyone? Hi. Hello, hey, everybody. All right. Our celebration of all things Ghibli continues as we make our way to the Forest of the Deer God. Today, we discuss Princess Mononoke. The film was released in Japan in July of 1997 by Toho, and in the United States by Miramax in October of 1999. One of those films that fits our criteria as well as celebrates Ghibli, like the last Ghibli film of the millennia. Right. Um, this met with home releases in every bloody format you can imagine, in every bloody market you can imagine, everywhere. This, this is one of those films that if you can't find it, you're just not even trying. It's It's... Available everywhere. I'm sorry, sorry. You don't need to uh, talk about people to their face. <laughs> well, he's not. He's talking to them through the computer. I mean, you can go to Wally World and pick this thing up. Like it's it's Look, everywhere. <laughs> I feel like we're supposed to have a certain amount of guilt. If this is the first time, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, oh no, no, no judgment, no judgment. I I've, I go into every film assuming Lynette hasn't even seen it. So. <laughs> Except this one. I know she's seen this one. <laughs> um, so the film follows Prince Ashitaka as he investigates the death of a boar kami that attacked his village. And uh, he finds a land at odds as the industrial iron town encroaches on the forest territory of a powerful deer kami. Uh, and that's the most, that's the shortest, broadest description I could come up with. Yeah, that's the short, short version. <laughs> the short, short version. Uh, this this movie, yeah, it came out in 1999 uh, theatrically. I was one of the few people that got to see it in a movie theater. Um, back then. Yeah, I, well, back then. So it premiered on 38 screens in the whole of the U.S., and it just so happened that I was staying with my future wife, Deb, up in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota at the time, and it was airing at the theater there, the Crossroads 6. So, uh, yeah, so I, I made her go watch this. God love her. She was not an anime fan at the time. So this, this came on kind of strong. <laughs> this is a lot of... To say, lot the, of, to say the least. There's a lot of strong anime themes in it. And I don't know that she was fully prepared. His, his, her rea initial reactions were not, were not pleasant. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it... Uh, and I, I do want to talk about it. This, 38 screens for its opening. That's not the entirety of its run, but when it premiered for the first few weeks, it was just 38 screens. And this relatively tiny showing of theaters in the U.S. still led to a box office of over $2 million. So for its first eight weeks. Uh, so by the time it finished its run, it had been in like 350 theaters in the U.S., um, but for the first eight weeks, it was it was a real small run. Uh, apparently, intentionally, I think Miramax probably didn't have as much faith in it as they should have. Uh, I, think, I think it probably has to do with the fact that they weren't allowed to make cuts, so they didn't think American audiences would take to it. This is the film 
the infamous katana with no cuts on it was used for. This is, mm-hmm. this is the one. Uh, <laughs> so this has a lot of uh, personal meaning to me. I It's 1999. We're talking the internet was nothing but GeoCities websites. Ask Jeeves. And, and we were barely scraping the surface of broadband at the time. And find out and by broadband anime, you mean like three megabits down right <laughs> yeah and to find out that this anime was coming out at all i was impressive enough as it is but then to find out that it was in this tiny little college town in the middle of minnesota is it is it just or are you painting the picture of a digital you hear me out of a digital oregon trail where people died of <laughs> <laughs> uh, I died of no bandwidth. <laughs> right, right, right. It 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 was a lawless time, you know. Think about it. Think the, about it. The age of Conan, where where wizards and 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 mass and magic ruled the internet. Hey, that was the internet then. <laughs> am I wrong? Like anybody of age, am I wrong? I mean, that's how the internet was. Uh, you you had AOL chats that was like the most advanced internet anybody had ever used. I still refused <laughs> it back then. So you had to scour the scrolls if you wanted the directions. You had to print it up in MapQuest, and hopefully you had a Sage Navigator who can be <laughs> point A to yeah. point. Hundred percent. You're not wrong. Hundred percent. And this if was... someone called in on your fo- on your phone line, you were done. That's and what's it's important to establish that because this movie did well. I mean, everybody says on metrics it did poorly, but really, logistically, you think about it, it did very well considering the environment in which it was released. Mm-hmm. Pretty damn impressive. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. You're still crucified if you were an anime fan back then. So. Oh yeah. What we did yeah. equivalent of taking the Bible and throwing it to the natives and. <laughs> Hoping we would just burn the Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yes, basically. Um, this so this was Disney or Miramax. I'm here quoting their first attempt at a Ghibli film, and they um, kind of brought their A game on this one. The American script was done by freaking Neil Gaiman, of all people. Uh, just comic book royalty. Come on. And by who? Neil Gaiman. Oh, Gaiman. Not Gaiman. I, thought you were uh, I think it's Gaiman. Is it Gaiman? I thought you were saying Neil Diamond is in Sweet Caroline. Yeah. I was, no, was no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sweet Caroline. Oh, uh, you know, comic book writer and well film writer tv show writer i mean he's now he's a household name to a lot of people but back then comic book nerds around abound he it's funny he wrote the american screenplay for this and yet he wasn't credited anywhere he wasn't on the movie poster he wasn't in any of the marketing it was just one of those things you kind of found out after the fact because Max didn't want to drop their names from the posters mm. Producers, they didn't want to not take credit, so they decided his name was expendable. They had to remove a certain, they had to remove some character from the poster. They're like, oh, this, I'll just take Neil Gaiman off of there. No big deal. <laughs> he just didn't fit. So he bring it on himself. Like the letter, 
is by far the most unattractive letter ever known to me. <laughs> uh, he said that he's going to be named Neil Gaiman. You expect you're going to be kicked off the Miramax posters. I, well, I, that's just how they played it, man. I mean, Weinstein wasn't going to not have his name on the poster. <laughs> right. And he's an H. Harvey Weinstein right out of G. It makes perfect sense. To me. Yes. In, in, in the game of, of, uh, of life, uh, Gaiman missed out on the poster. But in notoriety, his fans figured out, you know, that he had a hand in it. Really, he did a great job. I mean, it's not a translation so much as an interpretation, which something to keep in mind when you're comparing languages on this. But I, he did a great job. He did a great job on the script for this. And the voice casting handled by Disney was, man, fucking tastic. You got Goliath himself voicing the narration as well as uh, Bor- the Boar God, Toro, or whatever his name was, Okoto. Like, and he, he narrates the intro. It's fucking baller. Anyway, the American voice cast did great on this. I watched it, of course, theatrically in English. That's just how they did it. For this viewing, I watched it dubbed again, as I assumed at least two of you would be doing this subbed. I'm assuming oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and Andrea, you watched it dubbed this time. Correct. As well. Oh. Well, mixing it up. For, for these uh, recordings, I try to watch it in the version that I don't normally watch it in, just to have a different perspective. So. That's a great way to do it. <laughs> That's why. Uh, and it opens. And sub is the only right way to watch, but we'll forgive you this time. It opens great, Thank man. You. Like sub, sub being what it is, having Keith David narrate your opening is a freaking brilliant idea. So what he's saying is that we need a hybrid release. That was some A plus decision making by Disney Miramax because again, you can I can have Keith David read me the fucking phone book and I would be enthralled the entire time. So. Hearing Goliath narrate this was was killer. <laughs> it, this is one of those animated films that uh, it was one of the first ones to start using computer technology. About 10% of the film had computer effects in it. Back then when they thought they should use computers to augment instead of replace hand-drawn animation. So uh, it, was, it was very clever use of it because a lot of times I didn't know where it was being used. <laughs> I'm pretty sure some of these sequences, like uh, when the Borg, when the pig god pretty much melted away, it was a, it was a yeah. cheesy morph. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But back then, back then and, it was a phenomenal morph. Yeah, and, and the whole tentacle monster scene, right? So, I mean, we all seen enough hentai to know where that was going. But when he, when he, the boar god comes out and he's covered in tentacles, most of those are CGI'd uh, for obvious reasons. Animating that would have been a nightmare for anybody. And even that, that was that was really well done, especially for the time. Hell yeah. yeah. Terrifying. Um, there are some awesome details that they, they, they bring into here that was just phenomenal to look at. And just details. Like, he has dirt on his feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And uh, another one is when they're ringing the alarm bell, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, the metal slab with you know the hammer marks in the middle. Yeah, it 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 was it was it was it was a had, well used alarm. Yeah, yeah, they've had a lot of alarms. Yeah, I, I yeah no this uh there were over one hundred forty four thousand drawings that made this movie, and Miyazaki oversaw each and every one of them. Personally retouched 
about half of them, if not almost over half of them. So this was one of his, this was supposed to be like his magnum opus. He was supposed to retire after this. This was his first retirement was this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then 182 <laughs> retirements later, he's still at it. Yeah. <laughs> so he was, he was fully prepared to, uh, to go out on this one and have this be his magnum opus. And it would have been totally great. Uh, no, no notes. Yeah, then, of course, he came out of it for Spirited Away, and they came out of it for Ponyo, and they came out of it for Wind Rises, and he came out of it. <laughs> yeah, every, every 20 minutes. He's like, oh, this is really good. I want in. I'm back. I don't know how to quit. This year's Jibby Fest is all about retirement. So we're <laughs> Dude, please take the hint. <laughs> You're saying it's a goodbye tour? Yeah, that's right. This is it's a is, farewell is tour. 18th farewell tour? <laughs> I I love this whole concept of the uh, Inishi people. Inishi people. That's that was really great. Um, I loved the way Ashitaka tries to reason with the boar god demon as it's attacking, like because he doesn't want doesn't want to do what he knows he's gonna do. Mm-hmm. Trying to reason with it and it's just not having it. I love that Yokul got the Ghibli hair stand, <laughs> the tentacle demons mm-hmm. barreling out, and he's like, "Cool, run!" And Yokul's just like. Oh fuck! I'm literally deer in the headlights. <laughs> so he got his Ghibli hair stand. It was great. Uh, that whole sequence is is so awesome and kinetic, and the the tracking shots are great. And they use computers to sort of blend that in. Man, it's a great fucking way to open a movie. The music, mm-hmm. artwork, the narration it was a killer opening. Probably the strongest opening of any Ghibli movie, personally so- speaking. Again, once again, uh, are we saying that there's no critiques we have of this movie? Uh, if you have a critique, it's wrong. By all means, Brian, you have, I, you're not allowed about anything but unabashed joy about this movie. I, I, I have, I have thoughts, but they're not, not critiques so much as observations. What do you got? You got something? Oh, oh, oh no, oh no! I, please don't, don't, don't give it to me. Oh, no. oh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> I have one. I have one. Man. I don't think the term prince or princess actually has any weight at all. In, at all in this story. All oh, the name for this movie is some made up shit, man. They, I guess Miyazaki didn't even want it to be named that, and that then, like at a press release, the director said the name, and Miyazaki was like. I guess that's the name. <laughs> Say oops. <laughs> See, he wanted the movie to be called The Legend of Ashitaka. Which is a much okay. better name. Perfect name. Perfect name. And and I guess the director... Yeah, but something like Ashitaka Desetsu or Monogatari doesn't sound right. <laughs> the guy, I guess the director guy was like, I really want to call this Princess Mononoke. <laughs> so when at a presser, he just blurted the name out, and everybody was like, "Oh, that's the name of the movie!" And they like wrote it down. <laughs> I do not want to be on the receiving end of that death stare. <laughs> I think we have a Mononoke counter. How many times they actually said Princess Mononoke? Uh, I think zero. Once, once. once? they yeah, actually once. say Mononoke once. Uh, yeah. yeah, she says it. Okay. Um, uh, lady. 
Iboshi. Iboshi. Yeah, Iboshi, she yeah. does it. She said, uh, and then Princess Mononoke will be human, I think is what she says. Uh, okay. And then he's just like, Princess Mononoke. And then that's when Okay, so they say it twice. All right. Yeah. But then yeah. that's it. Never again. I'm like, it's some it's some horse shit. Like they don't they don't princess right. They damn sure don't prince right. <laughs> like it, it felt more I don't know. I wish there, there, there not one kingdom was ever really described in any type of yeah nothing. Uh, I think yeah, the closest you can get is the Amishi people being a tribe. I mean, not unlike Native American tribes, Iroquois or whoever, Mohawk. It, in the end, and him being royalty within their tribe, but even that, even even tribes like that don't necessarily have royalty. So he's just. <laughs> Hey, uh, you're royalty. Just want to let you know. Um, you're dead to us. <laughs> you're out. <laughs> it's like, you we know, know the whole arm yeah. thing? Yeah, you're fired. You know you were defending us, and your arm is going to probably eat you, but you're dead to us now. You have to go. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thanks, bye. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> oh, shit. I, I did... I did with all things Ghibli, I wish I could spend more time in certain things, and I wish I could have spent more time with the Amishi people. Uh, you know, this sort of like idyllic clan of people living off the land and, and shit uh, in harmony and all that. Again, Native American versus colonizer sort of motif uh, mm -hmm. that was sort of happening there at the beginning. And then they it, sort of it, left. I think that we get so surrounded the whole colonization versus living off the land. You know, this is not a fam uh, unfamiliar plot. You know, sure. Gambit with wolves, yeah. Avatar, you know, anything where we're talking about industry versus respecting of nature. Right. It's, it's, it's not, it's not unse unforeseen territory. Absolutely. Uh, even using... Uh, the deities and having that they actually have avatars in here. Not so much of a, a, a stretch here. They do a great job of, I guess, showing you how all those things work together. I agree. I agree. I I loved I loved their representation of the kami. In this as mm -hmm. giant animal spirits, like these just giant creatures that could speak and reason. It was so cool. Uh, I, sorry, Vic, I'm reading your note. <laughs> Vic gave us a note on Mononoke, and now I'm going to make him read it. No. <laughs> not reading it. Share the knowledge. It's not nice you have to, to be share. knowledge. Otherwise, Andreas has to include it in show notes. That's not fair. That's not fair. Don't make me do that. Oh, no. What was it? <laughs> uh, it's just a Wikipedia meaning of uh, Mononoke. Which is essentially vengeful spirits, dead spirits, live spirits, or spirits in Japanese classical literature and folk religion that were said to do things like possess individuals and make them suffer, cause disease, or even cause death. That is... Having that definition makes my idea for the theme of this film more relevant. Mm -hmm. Most people talk about this movie and they talk about its, its, indus its industrialization versus nature. That's true of this movie, but I think there's more to it than just the that balance. I don't think that's the story that this is trying to tell. I think it's the backdrop on which they're telling their story. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get to that later. I do want to talk about the film more before I get there. Um, I, there's this great bit where the old the old biddy, the village elder, she's sitting there with Ashitaka, and she's basically telling him he's fucked. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna die of this. Sorry, you can't alter your fate. I'm just now having yeah, seen the this. Bone like said 800, so. 800 times I've seen this, and I'm like, sorry, you're wrong. Like, <laughs> totally legit changes his fate. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and he can never go back because if he does, then she's a liar. <laughs> he definitely did Ulrich von Lichtenstein and changed his stars. Legit, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, technically, he died. Uh, well, I don't know, man. I mean, that's what that's what Mononoke says, at least. The horse spirit brought him back to life. So, I guess. with that, at one point, he technically did die. He just uh-huh. came back. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying what well, I saw. Well, he's dead. Dead or only kind of dead? That point happened. <laughs> See something, say something. I saw You're something, I said something. Defending the village elder. <laughs> respecting your elders. I appreciate it. Yes, that. respect the elders. It's very important. Oh, I shit. When he died, when the wolf oh. bit his head after he died. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yo, who fell over dead? Bit his head, like, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> it was like a chihuahua with a squeaky toy. Oh, God. I'm like, he didn't uh, go to the side or nothing. Those are straight insides are going straight into the bone. I mean, <laughs> I didn't know how he didn't have fang marks all over his face when they flipped them over. Right? I was like, dude, come on. That, that was a nom. That was a big nom. Oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get scars on my hands when my cats nibble at me. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Can you imagine on your face? Come on. Oh, shit. Uh, so Ashitaka, he's, he's cursed to die doomed he's never going to survive this that's it's his fate so going in you're like okay well he's gonna die and then doesn't or he does and then doesn't whatever um so he leaves on his faithful yakul to uh go investigate and uh see this world was it unclouded with eyes unclouded and i fucking love this next scene and he rolls up on the samurai abusing the villagers. Oh. oh. <laughs> Fucking that was, that was like, this is Ghibli? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Yo, it was at that moment in time I was saying to myself, man, I completely underestimated Ghibli. <laughs> that, is, that little sequence there, it. that's like, oh, that's what happened when the artist watched uh, Ninja Scroll. Dude, <laughs> everything about this scene is so good. The way he draws his bow and the arrow flies and that whistle and the way the camera shakes as the whistle is it's like fly arrows flying through the air. Mm-hmm. The whole scene down to the like the pieces just coming off of people like so good. They tell so many things with it. Like you know his arm, like the, the power in his arm is giving him the ability or whatnot. But like, how hard is that arrow flying? And they, they show you. Because when he takes the arms off of that samurai, the arrow... It takes him a second goes, to realize they're not there. The arrow goes into the tree all the way to the fletching of the arrow. Like, it's it's completely yeah. embedded in the tree. There's, like, nothing left. So it cleans the guy's arms and barrows, buries itself completely into the tree. It was 
whole scene's fucking amazing. My animation nerd moment, you know I gotta have at least one of them for all these Ghibli movies. It's this, and it's Ashitaka's watching the samurai attack the villagers, and shot is him on Yakul's back, and Yakul's ear turns. Ashitaka looks down and sees his ear turn, and then turns to see what he's listening to, and then he sees more samurai coming, and those samurai attack him. It's it's such a fast little moment, but it's so great because it shows how much he is in tuned with his animal, in tuned with his friend, that he saw his ears move and took that as an alert. And it saved his fucking life because he's rained on arrows right after that. Come on. Pause, pause, flag on the play. Um, did anybody else catch that? <laughs> I told you it was going to be my one animation nerd moment. Let me have it. <laughs> the ear turn? No, I missed it. I'm gonna have to rewatch it because I didn't. I didn't see it. Look, look. I, I feel like this is a, a, a forlorn moment. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the part where you say that I don't, I won't apologize for having awesome eyesight or getting LASIK. <laughs> <laughs> look. I am not criticizing the way anybody watches animation. You, everybody watches it their own way, and they enjoy it for their own reasons. This, how are this, you? How are you watching? This is the like, way I watch it. I watch it. <laughs> I watch it from. Oh, I watch it to be entertained, but I also watch it from a work standpoint. Like I watch it from. If I was doing this, you know, would I have thought to do this? And so when I he when I watch that three frames a second, that way he could take in every single <laughs> individual frame. It's fucking cool, man. I don't know what to tell you. It's just it's so cool that they thought that he should react that way. That literally his elk saves his life. Like the ear turn tells him troubles that way. It's if you've ever watched your own like your pet, your cat or your dog, the ears are the first thing to turn. Before anything else, that's what mm-hmm. turns first. So it's just to me, it was just a really cool thing that I saw. I'm not. It's, that's it. I just, no judgment. That's how I watch anime. I like, <laughs> funny enough, because of him, I don't know if it's from listening to the podcast or if it's from you know growing up with him. Because of him, I'll notice random stuff like in the movie when I was watching it. Something that I noticed that I was like, oh, that's funny that they actually animated that was when um, he's getting a tour of the Iron Castle. There, in the background, you see these three people, and one person's holding, like, the nail in the middle, and they're doing the thing where one slams a hammer, and then the other one slams it right behind them. And each time they do it, the person holding the nail is flinching. Like, every <laughs> single time they slam it, he flinches. And it made me laugh, because I was like, I normally wouldn't <laughs> notice that. But because... Rick, I sit there and I'm just like, oh, that's funny. They actually animated the flinching because I know I would be flinching oh, every two seconds. Oh, you know that poor guy was there terrified of his hand. <laughs> terrified that he was going to lose a finger. <laughs> but it's animated. Um, I guess is that we had just talked about uh, the awesome scene of the arrow taking off the guy's arm. Yeah. And then immediately after that, you even noticed that the arrow goes all the way into the wood based up to the flesh it. Yeah. And then immediately after that, you also notice the the, the ears of the Yakult. I'm saying that there is a point in time where something cool happens and there needs to be a moment where you let's let's call it an orgasm, if you will. Right? <laughs> where where you actually have to 
take time to pause and then, you know, saying regather your strength. But these guys are basically coming on our face multiple <laughs> times throughout the show, and you're taking all of it like like the bukake wizard you are. <laughs> yeah, Brian, it, I, think, is, I think you're confusing an eyegasm with uh, porn. This is anime bukake, and I lap it up. Yes, it's amazing. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> uh, it's leave it to Brian to turn a Ghibli conversation into you know something that would be long so the hentai episode. Oh hell yeah, no! I don't, oh. and I I don't. They did this when they started blowing arms off. They said, <laughs> you, if you want to start talking about dicks and shit, you're, we're cool with it. <laughs> episode. <laughs> they let. <laughs> Yeah. When the head popped off, that was the oh, best. Yeah, and the guy is still riding his horse. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I love and there that were two head pops. One yeah. later on, too. I love yeah. that they used it again. They're like, he's going to do this same trick. He's going to catch the arrow, flip around, kill a motherfucker, pull another arrow, and pop another head off. And he does that, and the other samurai's like, nope. <laughs> Turns yeah. around. Said, nope. They're like, peace, we good. out. <laughs> I understood the assignment. Goodbye. <laughs> That was the best. Like, the guy was like, ah, oh, okay. See you, later. <laughs> you hear something? I, I gotta go. Got you. <laughs> like, did you see how good that guy aims? We out. It was so cool. Uh, it's so great. And it's, it sucks that it's so cool because it's antithetical to the character. Like, that's not what he's all about. Right. And, and it's showing how much power hate has. Because yes. that's that's what his infection is. It's it's hatred, showing how much power hatred has over somebody like him. It's it's, it's awesome. It's terrifying and it's awesome all at the same time. We we need it. I, I think it's time. We, it, it's time for the professor, the Ghibli professor. <laughs> are, you, are you? Are you calling me? He's like <laughs> <laughs> we are summoning her. From the depths like a kraken, present to you the Ghibli professor, who's going to give you all the information you need to know about Ghibli right now. Boy, I hope you brought receipts, guys. Oh god! Oh, like summon Andrea. Well, um, for my list musings for this film, I funny enough don't actually have a lot. Love this film; it's my favorite. Out of all of them, even though I dearly, dearly love Kiki, I was gonna say over I Kiki. know I think I love Kiki, but this every time I think of Ghibli, I think of this film. Uh, it could be because it's probably one of the first ones I ever watched growing up, to the point that I had a very bad, legitimate fear of worms, and um, also thought that arrows were a lot more powerful than they actually were. So when I was older and was like interested in archery, learned that was way harder than I thought it was because he made it look so easy with his super powered arm. Um, <laughs> Andre over here thinking she's going to go pop a few heads off and realize it's not that easy. <laughs> hits the tree and bounces off. No, 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 no. More like let's go and hits the floor. Like I have no power at all. I couldn't do anything. It was so hard to pull the bow back. Anyway, poor thing. <laughs> Sadly, I don't. I, I love this film so much, but I don't have a lot of mindless musings. Um, the only thing I can really say about I'm this sorry, film, I'm sorry, yeah. you're not any assignment. We we are part of the mindless musings. We're actually looking for the mindful. 
well, the mindful depth, like what's the the, I, the deeper level of this film? Like what's the lesson? I have one. You have one? I have one. Okay, I, have, I one. have one too. So go ahead, you go first. No, are you sure? hundred percent. All right. As I'm like, you can go. You sure? Hold on. Are you I'm absolutely sure. I'm absolutely sure. Go ahead. You're absolutely sure you want yeah, me to I'm positive I'm gonna follow this act. Okay. Um well <clears throat> what I think because <laughs> again, this is all in my perspective and how I interpreted the film. Um, but it's this one is a complicated explanation because the answer is complicated. For me, the way that this film breaks down is it's much like Rick says. It's it's also it's about anger, it's about hatred specifically. It's about the power of hatred and how it can drive you and blind you and cloud your eyes. Literally. I shouldn't have followed this. Sorry. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go, go. Yeah, I, just like it, I like how she says clouded your eyes, and I'm just thinking of the old pig guy. We couldn't see because his eyes were all cloudy. A hundred percent. all cloudy, and he was driven by hatred. They had conversations with him. He even had a conversation with and and everyone and, and talked about it and still decided to attack even though when they begged him not to because he could be turned into a demon all he saw was hatred therefore he turned into a demon so for me it's like yes it is about hatred and the power of hatred that is a huge portion of this film and like it's a huge driving factor and just also it's about forest conservation and living in peace with you know the the earth and with progress you know, by building iron and stuff like that. As weird as it says, I think that the deeper meaning of this is literally listening to everyone's side of the story. Dude, that's... Ah. Because that's that's what this is. Is like, yep. he was driven by the power of hatred in his arm because he was infected by it, but he himself didn't... He, he hated the arguments that they were having over things that they were they were focusing on the small things and not focusing on the big things that could bring them together. It was very much a, well, you did this, well, you did that, well, you did this first, well, you did that first, and all this stuff, when in the end, all they had to do was really just listen to both sides of the story with unclouded right. all eyes. All they had to do was just shut up and listen. Shut up and listen to each other and come to a mutual understanding with like, okay, you can have this land and talk to the Kami gods to like agree with them as well, not just overtake like they did with the apes. And and actually come to a harmonious, you know, agreement. That's what the forest god wanted. That's why he saved him. Is yeah. and he didn't take away the the scarring on his arm or anything because it was his way of saying like your job's not done. You need to get these people to be amicable, to be happy with each other, to live in harmony, and to see each other's sides. And Kind no, that's what that's fucking legit. My that's mind too. Look, sorry? right here it says right hey. here. It's na nature versus industrialism is the theme on the surface, but to me, the real theme of this movie is empathy versus apathy, yeah. and and how that duality exists in all things. That's Ashitaka's true power. It's not the hate that's inside of him. It's that he empathizes with the people in the conflict. He empathizes with Lady Eboshi, with San, with the Deer Kami, Moro. He understands what all of them are trying to do. Boshi has empathy uh, for the lepers and the sex workers. She adopts them all. She tries to care for them. Her whole purpose in making Irontown succeed is so that she can take care of all these people, the downtrodden. And mm -hmm. Moro, to me, Moro, the, the wolf Kami, she is the, the antithesis to, to Lady Eboshi. She has empathy for her child, San, and for the forest. And she adopts San because she has empathy for her. And she empathizes with all the creatures in the forest and, and vows to protect the forest. And 
I, everybody likes to say this movie's about Eboshi and San, but I think it's more about Eboshi and Moro. And I think San is a byproduct of Moro's hatred or apathy mm-hmm. towards Eboshi and the industrial expansion that's happening there. And Ashitaka's whole thing is being able to empathize with everyone in this. Nobody in this is evil. Everybody in this is trying to protect someone. All if different shades of gray. If anybody's evil in this, it's that fucking monk guy. What the fuck's his name? Jiko. Jiko's yeah. the yeah, only yeah, motherfucker yeah. in this. If I gotta give a movie a villain, it's him. Yeah. With the crazy everybody data. In here, yeah, everybody in this has something worth living for. And everybody in this is somebody that I could have been friends with to a degree. They oh, all yeah. care. That, to me, is the biggest thing about this movie, is that it's everybody's has empathy, sure, but they also have apathy. They're incapable of understanding the other side of the argument. They're incapable of empathizing with the people that are who they see as attacking them. Boy, if that isn't the fucking Please. real world right now, I don't know what I was about is. To say, yeah. <laughs> After watching this movie and growing up with it, it's every time I have an argument with someone or I'm having a disagreement and stuff, I always sit there and kind of do the Reddit, like, am I the asshole kind of thing? <laughs> and I, I always think of this film when I'm doing that, because this is essentially what they should have done. Is yeah. They mm-hmm. all should have just sat down and been like, Hmm, am I the asshole here? And they would have probably come to a peaceful conclusion and would have not need any of this. The answer is yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> so I'm I- the asshole. That kind of gets reinforced with when they try when they save the wolf from under the yeah. boar's bodies. You know, right. after the battle, it's, it's no longer us and them. They're realizing that Ashitaka may have something to say about it. You know, because they were celebrating the death of a boar god, he had the repercussions of their celebration. And when you saw that, they were like, "Well, what's the matter? Why are you so upset?" And he shows, you know, that he's cursed. This is what's happened. And then in the end, the very things that they were battling against as their enemies they saved one so yeah yep. yeah i uh, I, I did i did write a note is that the dear commie's parting gift uh as he's dying was empathy he he healed the land he healed the fucking lepers he cured them of leprosy he, he did all of this despite the fact that everyone just everyone's was like fuck him right mm-hmm. and he, the Kami God still said, I'm going to heal everything, and you guys start over and fix this. Do it right. That's represented by the, the fact that there's the one Kodama at the very end rattling his head. is like, hey, we're not done. This forest is still alive. We're still here. Like, it's, to me, that's the lesson to take away from this. Is it beautiful? Hell yeah. Is there beautiful destruction? Fuck yeah, there's a ton of beautiful destruction oh, yeah. in this movie. But that's if it's a lesson in, in learning to listen, <laughs> if anything. Yeah. One of the things that that, uh, that that stood out to me was, all right, say you have, a, you have a conflict, right? On either side of the conflict, there was another party that was either even, added even more instigation to it, or just, just, just talking for Lady Iboshi, Boshi, yeah. Mm-hmm. She has the monk in her ear, and then she also has the the, the, Samur- the feudal lord coming to take her her stuff, even while she's dealing with you know, princess. I mean, uh, yeah. San, and, and and there were so many attacks happening 
to somebody who was really trying to do the right thing for her people. But there was, it was just constant. And it, it really felt surreal when you look at that, that you're thinking about, you know, you, you're, you're trying to work for peace. There are so right. things that are attacking this for their own goals and for their own gains. It's hard to even say if we're going to go and sit down at a table to talk about we're, we need to work this out, then the table also has an attack coming towards it. It's just, it's really sobering. If, if anything, it's depressing. <laughs> see. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I, it, it is. There's a lot of that. But I think that's that's why it's so frustrating, right? Like growing up the way we did with anime and, and all of this, to, to know that kinds of themes existed for us, be it, you know, stuff we learned from Super Dimension Fortress Macross or the stuff we learned from Ghibli movies or the stuff we learned from, you know, schlock like Ninja Scroll. Right, we still we pick up a lot of these deeper themes, and back in those days we were reduced to cartoon nerds. And you're just like you don't understand the depths of storytelling that we are dealing with here. The layers of complexity rival some of the greatest writings you've ever turned a page to, and and we're the nerds. Fuck you. This shit is. Shakespeare. <laughs> it's yeah. And, back then, it was like, oh, you know, if if it's animated, it, obviously it's for kids, right? It's cartoons. Yeah. This, Why are you watching this, cartoons? That this movie kind of broke. Mad. That. Oh my god! Yeah. This movie broke that mold for people. And and like you, like your reaction, Brian, when when Ashitaka starts taking limbs, you're like, oh fuck, we are not watching. This is not a Disney movie. This, <laughs> this is, is not my neighbor Totoro. Something else entirely. That, this was the eye opener for a lot of people. They were like, "Oh fuck, we're dealing with something else." A oh, lot of he's people. Done. He's supposed to be done. He reti- and you're retiring after this. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> and that was uh, so. It was. It had a lot of power behind it. This movie uh, just why it means so much to anime nerds because of what it represented uh, in the market in the time. Uh, it's like okay, you know we're. 15, 20 years deep into this anime stuff, and just now we're starting to get some credit because of this movie. And you're like, this movie's amazing. It ain't the only game in town, yo. We've been watching shit this deep for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, it's, it succeeds on these, on these concepts. It succeeds at, at showing human complexity better than most movies show human complexity. All right, so let's look at this as, for instance, let's try to apply this whole movie to an current event, right? And you can see that there's actually something that we're dealing with right now, and it's Russia and Ukraine. They're trying to protect their people, but there's an outside force that's instigating it. But they truly don't want some bigger, it's, it's never what the battle, I like how it's never what the battle is portrayed to be about is always something else, a higher level above that. You know, capitalism versus feudalism in this movie. You know, but you could really take that same mindset of what we're trying to deal with here and how how do you get peace out here? Well, the answer in this movie was pretty easy. 
burn it right, down. Burn, burn it all down. I was going to say blow it up, mm-hmm. start over. Yeah, they blew it up and started over. The, the deer commie was like, I'm leveling the playing field. Everything dies. They and then start over. killed a god. Yeah. That's how they solved it. They killed the god. Yeah, they, they killed god yeah. and they leveled the playing field. Like Everything was, was wiped, right? The power of the forest was diminished. Iron Town was burned to the ground. Like every They had to start fresh. That's a terrible plan. Because a lot of human lives are at stake in the really real world. Mm-hmm. In this story, that's the only way they were able to accomplish it. Because how do you get, let's let's take it back to the really real world. How do you get people without empathy to understand someone else? You don't. And that's, I mean, that's our biggest problem as a, as a culture, as a society, as a, as a race, is our lack of empathy. Our empathy is being drowned it's being sucked away from us. We are training the next generations to not have it. It's look at the internet. Mm-hmm. Spend five minutes on it and read read one comment section of any random story anywhere on the internet and, and tell me I'm wrong that we're not teaching empathy. We're also yep. blinded by our hatred. Right. And we're pushing it on others. It's not that we're not able to empathize it's just we're blinded by our hatred right whether and it's just like brian said it's not a surface level you don't hate the person that you're yelling at online there's a deeper level there's a reason why you're hating yeah. and you're just hating yeah, it's because most of the times because they're ignorant and they just don't like the other person's opinion they don't want to listen and they don't listen that's, mm-hmm. that's another thing with this piece is like when you look at lady Iboshi, before she killed the god they were like don't do it stop you know, you're being played. All you're being played. This is what, and she refused to listen because she believed her knowledge was the knowledge, and this was how she would do it. And she refused to acknowledge anyone else's opinions. And I think that's the problem that comes in is we take our limited experiences, our limited knowledge, and we we apply that to the world and expect them to understand that that is how they should be. You know, and we get mad because they don't fit that mold. You know, you don't fit my little town mold that I lived in for my whole life. So you are the enemy and whatever you do is against me. And that's why that's why it's there. I think Mm -hmm. even better, even so value, just the term value and scope. Right. Mm -hmm. We have the value of the iron versus the value of the spirits, right? So one person says, I don't see no value in the spirit. So clearly the iron is the thing that's supposed to be superior. Right, I can't fix shit with spirits, but with this iron, I can pay to help these lepers, I can take care of these women, I can build up this town and protect us from the shogun. Like, the iron gives me real value. The trees, fuck the trees. Mm Mm-hmm. The trees right. are in the way of the iron. Kind of like a foreshadowing, if you think about it. It's, you know, how I saw it is Princess Mononoke is a summary of what is going to happen if we continue with what we're doing. And you can see it's like nature dying, everything. And, and eventually, the only way that you're going to fix it is with a reboot. You know, when your computer works out, you get that blue screen of death, what happens? You reboot it. You got to start it over. So um, from what I saw with this, what I took away from it was with that, with 
all of us being so me, me, me type thing, the end result is really just going to be everything's going to go boom. And the people remaining are going to be like that one husband who said, oh, I didn't know the dear God made flowers bloom. Like that's the only, you know, the only way they knew that that had happened was when he died. And so I think that's, that's, it's kind of depressing. That's how I took it. I was like, oh yeah, this is what's going to happen. The world's going to. But that's, that's the importance of it. That's the importance of, of the story being told. And it's not the first time Miyazaki has, has dealt with themes of nature versus industry and, and expansion. Uh, Nausicaa was another clear example of that. It was the, you know, the precursor to this. It was Nausicaa and the toxic jungles fighting back against the expansion of, of you know, the human race. And that's finding that balance. That was, that was Princess Nausicaa's, uh, a princess who, by the way, was princess was being used correctly then yes. um, she, yeah, she was uh that was what she was fighting and again another character that was expressing empathy empathy for the creatures of the forest why do we have to kill the bugs why can't we figure out what's bothering the bugs and solve that problem and that's that ashitaka's role in this film was, uh, why why do we have to down the forest for the iron is there like maybe another way to do that and the wolves are like kill them all like okay dude, like maybe we don't have to kill them all like maybe there's another way we can handle that do we have dinner and talk about it right let's split a bottle of sake figure this out to me that's the ultimate lesson in this and a lot of people see this movie and they, they see nature versus industry and I, I see it it's it's right there it's on the face of this movie um i i feel like it's an, an unfortunate thing that's the if that's the only message you take away from it when there's literally it's in the line uh, see the world with eyes unclouded by hate that that's that's the real message of the movie they Mm -hmm. say it like five times in this movie and and Mm -hmm. still people come away with this is about finding balance with earth i'm like yeah sure but conceal not feel Beautiful destruction. Sans, Sans infiltration of Iron Town was fucking baller. I loved, loved when she invaded Iron Town. The way that they blew up the tiles of the roof. The way that oh Sans, god, the way she was just how smoothly her running across the roofs were. Yeah, just like like a uh, physical embodiment of rage at that point. It was so mm-hmm. great, and uh, that the way What's that vengeful spirit. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. Yeah, she was living up to her namesake. Um, it was friggin' awesome. The oh, I did have a question, and I don't know if anybody knows. What are all the bones in the water surrounding the Deer Kami's island? And every time they're they're in the water around the Deer Kami's little island, there's bones fucking everywhere. What are they? Well, didn't the didn't um Yakul not go on the island? And Mononoke go, you're smart. You know you're not supposed to go on this island. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think what. It- <laughs> Yeah, it's like if you're not of the forest, you shouldn't be there. Yeah, so like if you're not asking, if you know, if there's no reason for you to be there, basically you're gonna die. As that's how I took it. Is like it's like all right, the boneyard of the dum dums. The kami, (laughs) the kami of this forest is a deer, right? That is a creepy deer. In all things nature, a deer is prey. (laughs) So (laughs) what? Yeah, but no one really wanted to screw with that deer. Because there's a lot of dead shit in the water around this island. I noticed it when they're like trudging through the water and like, God damn, there's a lot of bones down here. 
is a deer with a face. It's a deer with a face. <laughs> Could Clearly. it have been like the ones that he passes judgment, right? He chooses whether yeah. you live or die if you approach him. Yeah, I think he's, he's... It could be the ones... I think he's a life cycle. I think that's kind of what he is, Mm -hmm. right? Because every time he steps, which, by the way, more fucking anime bukkake for you, Brian, Mm -hmm. when that deer foot hits the ground and all the leaves sprout up and die Mm -hmm. as his foot lifts up, I'm like, God damn it, that is fucking amazing. (laughs) When he breathes on it, it just dies. Yeah, just all of that. And I loved his his mercy killing of Okoto. That's what I saw it as was a mercy killing. Like he, oh, yeah. he saw Okoda was lost. He was mm-hmm. completely lost to that rage. Even though he just got shot in the fucking head, he still walks up to Okoto and gives him a merciful death. It, almost I just, out of respect. I don't know. I loved it. I thought that was so cool for such a horrible thing that was happening to that, that character to get that moment of mercy. It's like, you know what? I release you. You don't need this. And mm-hmm. He had empathy. Fucking had empathy, man. And that's... Apes. The apes were fucking terrifying. Oh, yes. Apes were were awesomely terrifying. The whole scene with the red eyes, and they were going to eat the human. I'm like, oh, goddamn. Yeah, that scene, they were really creepy, but then when they showed them later (laughs) on in the movie, they looked like apes. Yep, yep. The shit was great. I loved it. I want (laughs) to know who suggested eating the human, because... Need to talk to them and find out what's going on. Who heard right. Who suggested you know eating something like that? It's like was it Phil in the back? I bet it was Phil. It was Phil. Fucking Phil. So it's one of those. It's one of those things that uh, I spent a little time thinking about that because I did think so it's interesting that it's the apes that want to eat the human to gain power because it's always you know is that always that it's sort of that King Louis, you know, Jungle Book sort of vibe like desire to make that next step to be as powerful as a human. Mm-hmm. And then so, for them, like, we're going to eat the human. We're going to get the power. After our conversation just now, yeah. I was actually thinking about what power were they trying to uh, take from uh, Ashitaka. Yeah. You know. <laughs> the ability to shoot arrows like a boss. So <laughs> that's the thing. The thing about it is, is if they had, if they were looking for that one, they would have been basically eating his corruption. Mm-hmm. Right, which I'm perfectly fine with. And, and you remember the, the the my statement about there's always something bigger. I was yeah. trying to figure out what was it on the other side. You know, on Eboshi, Lady Eboshi's side, we had the feudal lord that was trying to come take her stuff. Right. right yeah. Yeah. The other side, we actually had the curse. Curse was a thing that was of of, of hatred. You know. Oh yeah. On the other side of why can't we sit down with them? Oh, we hate them too much. Oh, you got a curse too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because even if let's say they had sat down and Iboshi and and and, and Moral, they all sat down and came to came together, the pig guy was still gonna come over there like, no, this is wrong. We need to be killing them. And then the feudal lord still would have been like, no, you got it wrong. We need to be not only do we need to be killing them, we because that's where the the monk came from was from the feudal lord, right? Yeah, yeah, he worked the for emperor. him. Yeah. From the he emperor. From the emperor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was it Lord Asano? Asano, right? So we are talking about the table and who needs to be at the table and who is determining who is the what the value is. 
Mm-hmm. And we can't even get those two people there because there's something always in the background trying to take even more yeah. from that. Yeah, because there's, there's, there's a lot of voices to be had. And who's in charge, right? Who's in charge? Everybody's got an agenda. Even Okoto's agenda was he was a fervent protector of his people and the forest. He already lost one of his own to this. So he was, there was no bringing him back from this. And that's why when he gets corrupted by the, the curse, it's it makes perfect sense. Like he was way too far gone in this. He had already gotten his boys war painted up, which was fucking cool. That was so cool. That was pretty neat. That was awesome. And it's riding like war pigs. Yeah, and, and so he was he was too far gone, right? He he like you guys said earlier, his eyes were literally clouded by hate. And mm-hmm. and there was no coming back for him. You couldn't sit him at that table. There was too much rage. He'd lost too much already from everybody else's lack of empathy that he had nothing left but apathy. There was nothing left for him. Yeah. Even after seeing what happened to the other boar god, he was like, I'm just gonna continue doing it. It's fine. Right. Was... There's also like a, at least for me, there's like another level there that that I see, and that's when Mononoke is trying to help him like get to the forest god, mm-hmm. and she's like, you got to keep going, you got to keep going, and they're trying, and she's mm-hmm. doing her best. She's trying to have empathy for him because she like understands puking up barrels of she blood. Gets, he's puking up and all this yeah. stuff, but it's when he gets infected mm-hmm. that he starts growing the worms, and she's trying to get them off of him. Like, mm-hmm. no, you got to fight it, you got to be good, all this stuff. And she ends up getting wrapped up into it. And she gets wrapped up into it. Something that she yells is like, I'm on fire, it's burning, please, I don't want to become hate. Yeah. For me, that's like mm-hmm. a, another lesson as well as like is if you surround yourself with those people that are always eating and always angry and all mm-hmm. that stuff, you can end up getting corrupted by it as well, yeah. even if you don't want to. The hate spreads because easy. Because hate spreads really easily. It's a very yeah. easy infection to get. And she needed someone to get her out because she was getting swallowed up. That's the scale that we're looking for between empathy and apathy. Yeah. Those are the opposites. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we're basically talking about the difference between seeing other people or other views versus selfishness in, in that. Man, this is a deep one. Yes. <laughs> and it's it's so such a testament to storytellers. I'm I am not a storyteller by if especially if this is the metric by which I measured. That mm-hmm. uh, they have the thought to to break it down like this, you, you, you just think about making a movie. Think about making like something most people are going to come up with, and this is not a slight against the series, it's very entertaining, but most people are going to come up with some John Wick bullshit. Mm-hmm. And you get people like Miyazaki who sit down and like, no, we're going to do this because this means this, and this represents this, and this is uh, another way that this can happen. The way that hate infects in this movie, both literally like a virus and just through evolution of, of circumstance, it's, it's a level that is, that is so much deeper than a lot of storytellers can ever hit. And that's, again, reduced by people because it's a fucking cartoon. And I'm like, just <laughs> give it a fucking chance and you'll see. And it's not shoved in your face. That's that's the part that I love about this. It's it's all very yeah. subtle. It's one of those 
because no one will no one will pay attention if it's shoved in your face, right? You're just sure. yeah. nobody likes to be preached to. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, this this is all. It was all very. Mm. And then when you finally realized it, you guys ahead. ever watch something like this and think this sucks because the message isn't gonna get to the people that probably need it the most. Oh God, yeah. There's so mm-hmm. many things I watch like that. Like, I will literally watch it with someone, and I'll be like, dang, it's crazy how they talked about, like, this and this and that. And they're like, what? I thought it was just a story about a butterfly. How'd you get all that? And I'm like, dude, did you not? And, you know, I have to, like, break it down. Did we not watch the same movie? Like, did we not watch the same? But that's that's a majority. Because a majority of people will just see the pretty story about, uh, this is, you know, obviously about civilization versus nature. And it's a lot deeper than that so deep that it's difficult to explain sometimes because there's too many levels and it 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 does frustrate me because i i would love to show this movie to a million people and and hope that they got even half of what we've talked about in this from it the reality is, is i don't i don't think they will and that's it's a shame because it's a powerful lesson to have so I think this is a, a probably a good time for us to wrap it up uh, before we foolishly drag ourselves out to a three-hour podcast on this. Uh, <laughs> Which we probably easily could do. Yeah, oh, yeah, 100. Yeah, I feel like thematically, I mean, we didn't, we barely did our usual MO on this because we dug into how deep it was right away. <laughs> talked um, about the deeper meaning of the movie. We never actually talked about the whole movie in general. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> this is what final thoughts are for. So um, we'll we'll go ahead and do that. Let's let's start with our final thoughts on this, Brian. Uh, let's hear it, man. What are your what are your thoughts on Mononoke? Had you you never experienced this before this viewing, did you? No, no. Andrea is disappointed in you. She's thrilled. For I'm you. thrilled that you finally got to watch this one because I love this film so much. <laughs> Since our conversation, I've been having some thoughts about like movies like Avatar. You know, and Avatar or Dances with Wolves, you know, where you have one person who is from industry who is sent to talk to the nature and try to let them know, hey, listen, we're coming. But the, the it always gets lost that that person eventually loses their their desire to be a part of the industry. And to, they, they want to reconnect with the nature because they see the value of the people there. And I've been trying to think about another another medium that has done it the way this has done it, where they've done the reset for everybody. And after the reset, it's more about, uh, well, well, how are you guys going to work together now? Because it's still... It's still going to be the the emperor is still going to be trying to get the iron, and hate is still going to be on the other side of that. And and it felt like the emotion is it, like emotion versus man. There are so many. I don't have a final thought on this because I feel like there is so much left unfinished. Sure. You know, and I could spend the rest of my life on this earth trying to. Be a bridge, like Ashitaka. Does he? Man, I would love to see how he feels about it twenty years down the road. Does he feel like his sacrifices were worth it? I would. This is. I've never really asked for a sequel from Ghibli. 
I think that this is one that actually deserves a sequel or some type of continuance of the story. I think um, I agree. I would love a sequel, but I, I think that is, I don't want to speak for the master himself, but I think Miyazaki-san's whole idea is that I've given you the reset. How do you move forward? How do you move forward? Do you move forward with empathy? Because that's what he was trying to teach us to do. I don't know. It's I agree with you, though. I, I would love to get more. Fuck yeah, give me more of this. Give me a manga series. Give me the five movies. Well, you know, we... The the problem is that we there are so many things that they're gonna talk about that lead you to this the cliffhanger of what's supposed to happen now. You know. Uh a really great movie that we don't talk about is the movie Contact, right? Mm-hmm. They spend so much time trying to get to decipher this message and the message says, Hey, there's something amongst the stars, you could come find us. And you really don't deal with what that message is. You know, it was really just, okay, we have found you, now what? And we are left to explore that on our own. I would love for somebody to start the conversation. And if you can use it during media of saying, this big thing has happened. This is how we have progressed since then. You know, you can start to give us a little bit more hope because as it stands right now, the only thing we know is that a reset is coming. And do we even have hope after the reset? Or are we just going to be doomed? Man. <laughs> All right. Uh, and on that note, we'll switch over. Okay. I'm, we're... <laughs> I thought so. This is final thoughts, not deep thoughts. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch over to, I'll, I'll switch over to Andrea. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Funny. You got this. Uh, okay. So, Andrea, uh, you grew up with this movie. Literally. And here we are. Don't, don't just a, just a, that. Just a few handful of years later. Just a handful. Uh, <laughs> 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 what are your thoughts on it now, after your millionth viewing? Yes, after my millionth and one viewing today, um, it's watching it now and... and you know, trying to to figure out what the deeper meaning was and all that fun stuff. Being older and rewatching it, it was a lot easier for me to understand. As growing up with it, like I got the premise of it. You know, at first, of course, I always saw the surface level, respect nature, um, and you know, uh, worms are scary. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but it wasn't until as I got older and slowly watching it that I realized the deeper meaning of it, and it's have empathy just you know try and and see things from other people's perspectives because if everyone did that in this film all the different levels of everything that happened could have gotten solved one at a time it's it's that it's the apes could have been helped if they would have spoke instead of throwing rocks the you know everyone could have helped if they wouldn't have shot instead of you know if they would have talked instead of shot there's a lot of things that could have been done differently that weren't. And if everyone would have just taken a second, taken a deep breath, and tried to just put their stuff on pause, you could see how you could easily fix the problem you were so frustrated by. And that's that's kind of what I took from this film. is like, just pay attention to everyone, kind of have empathy, see where the other person's coming from. Even if it's really difficult and sometimes you have to ask, 
it's better to ask than to just speak forever and not try to see their side. And also know when you need to take a step back when it's too far. And you just have to realize there's no getting through to this person. Maybe I should just try and find a different solution. Mercy kill them. <laughs> or as the god. Shout out, a co- shout out to a Koto. Sorry, bro. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's oh, all right. Now you're up, Vic. Okay. Well, again, definitely, definitely, definitely one of my favorite Ghibli movies. I first bought this just randomly walking into a Best Buy when it first came out. I've been in love with this movie ever since. First Ghibli movie I bought with my own money, and. I've bought like almost every version that's come out since. I own it like four times over as well as most of the time when Ghibli Fest comes up, I'll go watch it. I just absolutely freaking love this movie. Um, Again, like everyone seems to be on the same page. It just shows that humanity basically sucks because we refuse to listen to each other. I I don't want to sound like a broken record, so I'm not going to. I'm just going to say you should watch this movie. It is freaking phenomenal. Awesome. Awesome. Lynette, if sorry with you, I'm going to go. Cool. Fantastic. Uh, when I watched this movie in theaters so few handful of years ago... Like two. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I, was in, I was in my 20s. A younger mind. You know, younger experiences. So I too, upon first the first time first go around, I, I got I took away from it nature versus industry. Even then, and it was even that was powerful enough for me. I grew up respecting nature. You're, when you grow up in Florida, you have to respect nature. It's sort of a do or die. <laughs> you just yeah, especially when nature can eat you. Right, and and everything can kill you here. So you, when you grow up here, you're you're taught to respect nature, or it will kill you. And so I've always had a deeper respect for it. But this film reminded me of the damage we can do to it with greed. That was initially what I got from this movie, and that was all I needed to get from this movie because that's a powerful enough message in and of itself. But uh, yeah, through the years, watching it over and over again, uh, picking up on the deeper meanings, uh, coming to the realization that what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Uh, There was not a lot of empathy to be had. And as we grow older and as the world spins on, it's the one thing that we seem to be running out of. This film evolved for me. I think it evolved for probably all of us, uh, not to speak out of turn. It evolved from the surface level story to the life lesson that we want to teach the world. And, and I think that that message should be shared as often as possible. I think that everybody should experience this movie, even if you have a friend who's never seen an anime ever. This is a great one to fucking start them on. It's a great one because at the very least you'll get out of it, respect nature. It's a great lesson. But I think, I think the older they are, I think the more they'll see the real, the real message in it. So it's beautiful. 
it's arguably a perfect film. Uh, damn near. I think that do yourself a disservice to not share it with the world. Lynette, we're going to wrap it up with you. <laughs> I know, I know, uh, Mononoke, this isn't your first time with Mononoke. That was, that was Brian's cherry we popped this time. So. Cock it all over my face. <laughs> <laughs> take, uh, take us out with your final thoughts on Mononoke. Yeah, like like everyone else, when I first watched it, I I saw the end result was this is what happens with human greed and selfishness. Basically, is how how I saw that going. And to me, I feel like you watch it once, come back after your experience and knowledge has expanded, and you'll see more. Kind of like um. Every time you, you look at something, it you see more and more and more of it. And I think, to me, that's the underlying story, you know, because Ashitake had to go and see the inner workings of Iron City. He had to go and see the inner workings of the forest in order to get more information. And to me, I, I feel like the, the movie is really, this is what happens when you don't try to learn from everything and everyone and and when you when you let your own selfishness or hubris say that you know everything this is this is what happens is everything is separated no one cares about anybody because they all believe that they are the right and but uh there's always hope. no one knows anything exactly (laughs) there's always there's always hope you know, you always have that one person, like the husband, who finally learned something. And to <laughs> me, that's that's how the movie, that's how the movie ended with me. It's like, oh, the world went boom, uh, the deer god died, but everything rebloomed. And then that one guy who was accused of being the idiot husband goes, oh, I didn't know that. So that to me kind of gave me that that little bit of hope that we can learn something, and it might be better next time. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for a better future. Uh, well, folks, if we don't have anything else to add to it, I'm going to go ahead and take us out. That's going to do it for our show today. So until next time, keep calm. And remember, in this information age of outrage that we live in, glued to our screens and suffering through every social media shitstorm. This lesson is probably the most important. See the world with eyes unclouded by hate. You've just been privy to the mindless midlife musings of the anime nerd, presented by Geek Grotto. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Geek Grotto. For show notes and corrections, or for general geeky fun, you can visit our website at geek-grotto.com. If you would like to sponsor the show, you can do so on the podcast's Red Circle host site, redcircle.com slash shows slash M-M-M-A-N. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast app, please like, follow, and subscribe.